This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. the Starship Zero-G, science fiction, fantasy and historical radio for episode number 1168. I'm Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And welcome back, Megan. Thank you, Rob. Nice to be back. <laughs> I'm not even sure that I'm here because <laughs> this is episode 1168, regardless of a slight space-time loophole that I had last week with enumeration. Right, I see. Look, I know there are people who take that sort of thing very seriously, and if you still feel raw about it in a thousand episodes, just come and look me up. <laughs> okay, what's... Um, oh, and thanks to our uh, hard-working podcaster, Joe Elsinador, who's taking a well-deserved break for a few weeks, so... Apologies if I'm a little slower off the mark than the expert, Joe. Mm -hmm. I'll probably have today's pod up by tomorrow evening. You can, of course, listen to the radio on demand stream at rrr.org.au. Our title today is Fly By Night. (laughs) For reasons which will become obvious when we talk about uh, Mary and Witch's Flower later on. Mm -hmm. And today's podcast title is the pod in the water oh, sorry the pod of water i should say if i want to riff off um guillermo del toro's new film properly very keen to hear your thoughts on those ones hmm. Hmm. actually i could just sort of uh make reptilian noises from from that because there's not a lot of talking in parts of that film oh. hmm. Okay, uh, first a little bit of a, um, a tribute track to uh, Peter Weingart who passed away, uh, the actor who is, was Jason King, I guess he'll be that character forever, which may mean absolutely nothing to you unless you're a fan of late night television, <laughs> but uh, I will get a few more uh, details about Mr. Mr. Weingart later on in today's ROG, but this is the the theme to his television show jazzed up a little bit with a proper philharmonic orchestra. Oh, this is me, right? Ah, yes. Oh, I, <clears throat> right, voiceovers on. Avast there, mateys. This is Captain John English, and you'll be listening to Zero G on 3 Triple R FM. Pirate radio, har har. Beware of cheap pirate copies. There we go. The theme to Jason King. Royal Philharmonic Orchestra there. 100 Greatest TV Themes, one of those compilation (laughs) um, albums. Actually, more than just an album with that many themes on it. Okay, back again with Rob Jan. And Megan McHugh. And here we are, talking about all things science fiction, fantasy and historical. Well, maybe not all. That's a big brief for one one episode. There's so much these days, too. Uh, And you've been indulging in two shows that are Zero G's favourite. Yes, so I have. I've been watching um, 
a lot of Black Mirror. So ever since we covered the first couple of episodes of season four, that was a couple of weeks ago, that was my first foray into Black Mirror. Mm -hmm. And then I wondered why I hadn't been watching Black Mirror this whole time. Everyone always said, (laughs) have you watched Black Mirror? You really should. It's right up your alley. It's deeply disturbing. (laughs) Um, And so finally I'm on the bandwagon. I... That said, I have not actually finished all of season four yet. Mm-hmm. I've watched the first four episodes. I think there's six in all. You're actually ahead of me now. Oh, okay. <laughs> what have you watched in the latest? I think about the first three or three, maybe even the fourth one. Okay. What's the fourth one again? The fourth one is um, Hang the DJ. It's the dating one. No, I haven't watched that one. Right. Yet. That's a good. I think that's a good one. And I think it's, um, you know, Black Mirror is often very doomsday-esque and quite, um, you know, you examine yourself and you find humanity to be wanting, that type of theme. Mm. But there's a couple he likes to pepper in, maybe one or two every now and then. They're a little bit more uplifting. So mm. I will say that's that's good and sorely needed. Um, so I would check out the episode four. Um, so I've really what I've been doing is going back and watching some of the choice episodes from earlier seasons. Um, so I watched the Be Right Back, which is the one that has Dom Hall Gleason in it, um, which was a very sad. Mm. I found myself weeping quite openly. Um, and a couple of the other ones that always make sort of the top lists of Black Mirror episodes, like Nosedive, which is one that had Bryce Dallas Howard in it, um, sort of about social ratings and things. Yeah. And White Christmas with John Hamm, of course, um, which was is, was all too poignant because um, I uh, have been, been playing around with a particular type of mobile smartphone device (laughs) that does different commands that you can program it to do certain things based on what you tell it to do and things like that, which is fantastic. But obviously, um, you can see how some of these ideas get formed and then Charlie Booker kind of takes them to the nth degree and there's some bits in White Christmas, which I thought were very interesting um, around, you know, how much we want things to be automated and the price that we'll pay. Um, so yeah, I'm definitely going to go back and I'm going to keep going with all the, I've done it in the wrong way though, in that I'm just cherry picking, (laughs) cherry picking all the best episodes and then I'll have to go back and watch all the, the chaff later on. They're not, um, they're not actually, but some of them, okay, some of them are slower than others, but here's the thing, you're actually doing it in a black mirror sense. You've discovered a later later episodes, then you're using the tech exactly. to go back through it. To delve back. And I mean, I mean, happily, they're all on Netflix at the moment, and yeah. so it's very easy for me to go back and watch, even those early ones that weren't, um, that were on Channel 4 originally. Um, so, yes, very much enjoying my um, Black Mirror escapades. I've been trying to talk about it with anyone who has <laughs> watched the recent... That's the thing, too, is because a new season has just come out, People are thinking about it and talking about it a bit more, so I can always find someone to bend the ear of. They've got to do a Black Mirror episode about streaming. Yeah. About, about the the way that... Uh, there's, there's got to be a plot in that somehow. Mm-hmm. Like, well, I think elements of... And I, this doesn't really give anything away, but there are some, some ideas from streaming algorithms and things that have come out yeah, in yeah. some of the other episodes. So I think... I think you're right, though. I mean, everything being on the cloud is kind of a big theme in general, um, but something, yeah, more around. Oh, what did I watch on it on, on last night? Oh, um, Letterman's new uh, uh, interview show. I watched the one with the Barack one with Obama. Obama? Yeah. yeah, I have not watched that. There's a, a line from that where uh, well, Obama is explaining the economic 
and social challenges that the United States mm. is facing at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Trump. But, but he doesn't mean actually. He peppers he around the target a little <laughs> bit. And, and he says, uh, he, he does that eloquently Obviously. and I mean, simply. Yeah. Uh, and <laughs> Letterman just says, you know, hearing, hearing you explain that so simply to me right now in ways that I can understand makes me so happy that you're still president of the United States. <laughs> <laughs> I will say he's a man of taste as well. I had a look at some of his top books of 2017 mm. and his um, Spotify playlist is also very well regarded by me <laughs> and others. But um, he's a man of fine taste. So I recommend those are two things to look up if you well, he's, um, he's are so inspired. He's certainly, I mean, there's Michelle. Well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so, uh, Oh well, let's let's get out of the fantasy land there. <laughs> a bit. Um, good place. Yes, we've, we've turned you onto that too. Exactly. <laughs> so obviously we had some brief discussions about this, and I know that you'd quite enjoyed it. It is my sitcom of the moment. You I, know how you pick one? That's the one. Yeah, and I can definitely see why. I mean, I'm a big Kristen Bell fan, and they give her enough room. They really let her shine in the show. Like she's, I think she's got really good comedy chops, but. I hadn't really, I just hadn't got around to watching it. Mm. And then at Christmas time, you know, left with kind of the mush of days that is the time between Boxing Day and New Year's. The UG. Exactly. I, um, we put it on because it was sort of listed as one of the top shows of 2017. People had been talking about it, you included. So watched the first episode, seven episodes later, realised it was dark and that we'd just binged the first, <laughs> the first lot. But it's clever. It's, it's fun. I yeah. think, I mean, a couple of people who I've recommended it to haven't quite gotten into it in the first few episodes. But I think, I mean, it's, it's got some good ideas in there. It's quite clever. The acting is great. There's a good range of characters, even characters who are quite... There's a lot of caricatures, but they're lovable caricatures. Hmm. And Ted Danson is just having a great time in his role. Like I said, Kristen Bell, you've got to be kind of into her style and, you know, picking up what she's putting down. But I, I like her a lot. Yeah, she's a she's a highlight of the show for me. Um, and I just think the whole... They've just got the whole aesthetic. And, you know, you've got some cameos from Adam Scott, who I really like. Um, and, you know, a lot of the crews, some familiar faces from some of the other. Oh, the, um, I think we're talking about this. The, uh, the, the principal of the school in Jumanji is, the, is Ted Danson's boss. Exactly, Sean. In a good place there, Sean. So, and, and so season two is out now, I believe. There was a hiatus yep. and then now they're sort of um, putting oh, out actually, one at a time. It is, it is, yeah, it's the second part of season two, I think. Yes, yes. That's so the they're they sort of, um, those are coming on one by one, week by week. Friday night. Yes. It's it's terrible. <laughs> it's like with the streaming things now, when they're dropping week by week, like Monday night is Star Trek Discovery night. Mm. Friday night is the good place night. Yeah. You know, yeah. they're just determined to just take all of your spare time. There's something I like about that, though, that, you know, there's still one of the things with streaming is you stop looking forward to things or you're not used to not being able to have things. I like sometimes when I have to wait the week or... The thing about The Good Place that gets me, beyond the, beyond the great ensemble cast, mm. and, the, and the actress who plays uh, Tahini, yeah. uh, the, uh, the British model, yeah. and, amongst yeah. other things, uh, is so perfectly cast. But when you hear her actually being interviewed... Is she British? Yes, yeah, she's British. Yeah. She's very British. Yeah. But in a, in a, in a, uh, a less posh way yeah, than... Sure. You know, so she sounds a little bit like... Um, <laughs> like, oh, it's just hard to describe. But it's hilarious when you listen to her. So. She's fantastic. I will say she's a character who could have been quite grating and ve- but she's very lovable. Yeah. I find. But the the to me, I mean, the star that continuously steals the show is Janet. 
Yeah, Janet's great. Yeah, yeah. she's the, the, the Siri of this universe, mm-hmm. the, uh, the Starship computer, and exactly. she's just perfect. She actually, and they give her a fair bit to do. I think um, she gets more and more to do as the series goes on, yeah, yeah. which is fantastic. Yeah, they sort of skew it in that. You know, we really need a Janet yeah. episode here. Yeah. But the dialogue in the show, that is the thing that just kills every time. It is like... Um, it's as if Aaron Sorkin were just writing sitcoms. And there's, and that's the thing. There's even just little lines that are so throwaway, but they're oh. just so clever. Um, there's a there's a line. Michael goes to um, Sean's office and sees a little thing on the desk. He picks it up and he spritzes it and he says, <laughs> "Oh, that's an interesting smell. What's that?" And he goes, "Oh, it's um, it's uh, it, it makes it smells like a Transformer movie makes you feel." <laughs> 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 and, and, and Michael just spritzes it on himself. Later on, when he when he uh, goes back to see Eleanor, she says, "That's strange. Something smells loud and confusing." <laughs> <laughs> and it's yeah. I mean, I will say, like, I watch this show with some people who aren't laugh out loud types, mm-hmm. and there was some chuckles, and I think that says something. Um, but yes, I will definitely be keeping pace with the Good Place. Mm. So I've got to catch up on the most recent. Episode. Yeah, that was last last Friday's one, yeah. which was an, uh, that was a line from that episode. I'm sorry, I spoiled the line. No, it's but, all right. But there are so many lines where that comes from. Yeah, it's they've it's they've done a good job. I think they've really set up a good premise uh-huh. and a premise that you I wasn't sure at the start um, was sustainable, but I think they've done a pretty good job. Yeah, it's 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 just forking great. <laughs> <laughs> forking. Exactly. And it is uh, the best thing since uh, since. Um, Iced yogurt, basically. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, I just wanted to get you in the mood for a little chat about Mary and the Witch's Flower, mm. and I'll give you the fly-by-night theme, uh, and it's the hammered dulcimer version, uh, which is a, a lovely musical instrument. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's by uh, Takatsugu... No, let me run at that. Takatsugu Muromatsu, and this is from the soundtrack of Mary and Witch's Flower. Greetings. This is Mark Alimo, and I play the Cardassian commander, Gold Dukat, on Star Trek Deep Space Nine. You're listening to the Starship Zero G. Heave to and stand by to be boarded. Yeah, we had the hammered dulcimer version of Mary and the Witch's Flower, which sounds a bit um, indulgent. You know, mm-hmm. dulcimer got hammered over the weekend. Takatsuku <laughs> uh, Muramatsu from the soundtrack album of that film that we are just going to discuss now. There's so much genre on at the cinema at the moment. It's great, isn't it? I'm and there's so much... There's just a lot of good quality, I think, yeah. out there. It's quite confronting, in a good way. I haven't had a dud yet uh, in the um, Christmas sort of mm. New Year crop of films that I've been seeing. There, no, yeah. everything everything has been good. I mean, look, it's also Oscar season. Mm. So by the time we get some of these releases, it's because they were released in the US so they could be eligible for the Oscars. So that does explain the peak in quality. But I'm not complaining. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. Missouri. That is going to be... That's gonna a big winner. Well, it was a big winner at the Golden Globes. Yeah. So. Great film, too. Uh, okay, now, Mary and the Witch's Flower, which is directed by Hiromasa Maru, is his nickname, uh, Yoni Bayashi, 
Uh, he, he worked for Studio Ghibli. Mm-hmm. Uh, his first film for them was The Secret World of Arietti. That was the one that he directed. Oh, oh, yeah. uh, he was nominated for an Academy Award for Best Animated Feature for his second movie, uh, When Marnie Was There. Mm-hmm. But before directing movies for Ghibli, he was a, um, a key animator on films like Princess Mononoke, Spirited Away, Howl's Moving Castle. Well, Beautiful. pretty much all of the... All the big the ticket, big ones. yeah. yeah. Uh, and now he's um, working for another studio, basically. So, um, Mary and the Witch's Flower is based on Mary Stewart's 1971 children's book, The Little Broomstick. We know Mary Stewart because of all of her Arthurian books. Oh. Well, I do anyway, but <laughs> so many more beyond those. Um, and it's, uh, it is basically a Ghibli film. Okay. You yeah. could drop this straight into the uh, the catalogue and you wouldn't, cause a, a ripple on the pond, basically. I mean, there's a few of those that hang around the edges that are very Ghibli-esque, but not strictly from the studio. Mm. Uh, well, just to give you the plot first off, because sometimes I actually forget to tell people the plot. <laughs> <laughs> Awaiting her parents' arrival, young Mary Smith is staying with her great-aunt Charlotte in a country estate in Shropshire. She alternates between boredom and exasperation at the latter at a local boy named Peter. Mm-hmm who teased her about her flame-red hair. Aww. Aww. Yeah. Ooh, we were past all that. <laughs> On the other hand, Peter's cats, Gib and Tib, are perfectly personable, and it's in following them into the nearby proverbial mysterious misty woods that Mary encounters a long-neglected magical broomstick that will whisk her away to adventure before you can utter the mystic phrase, Kiki's Delivery Service. <laughs> So, you can already see right there that we've got a lot of the tropes yes. of a Ghibli film. Yep. Determined little girl or young woman, fantasy aviation, a broomstick in this case, a witch, magical transformations, there are smart-ass cats. Yeah, I know. Is there a lovable and snarky sidekick? And yes, sounds like. Peter. Oh, no, not really. He's not a sidekick. Uh, steampunk technology. Mad science majors. Uh, in, in a way, this could even function as a kind of prequel to Kiki's Delivery Service or even Howl's Moving Castle. Oh. I was actually sitting there thinking, this looks like the setup for those both of those universes. Uh, there are walking ride upon machines, living flames that talk. What? Yeah, no, what? Yeah. come on. Morphing faceless minions, a sinister woman named Madame. Uh, and this is all mostly in the source book. I so, think, yeah, that's interesting. So they actually, he's actually, they've homed in on on, on a book that is all of well, these things. Well, it's that self-fulfilling prof. I mean, you know, yeah. interesting, very interesting. Yeah, uh, the voice actors in this, um, uh, the one who plays Mary, uh, who's uh, actually written didn't write down her name. Oh well, anyway, she's. She's the girl who played the lead role of Sophie in Steven Spielberg's um, 2016 film, The BFG. Oh, um, Peter is played by Louis, Louis Ashbourne Circus, who um, is uh, one of um, Andrew Circus's sons, uh, with Lorraine Ashbourne, and um, Madame Mumblechook, which I don't actually remember hearing in this, the course of the movie, played by Kate Winslet. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, Dr. D is Jim Broadbent, a character called Flanagan is played by Ewan Bremner, who's the expert marksman Charlie in Wonder Woman. Instant, ah, recognisable. Cool. Okay. 
Uh, and other actors that I've heard before too, uh, Teresa Gallagher, Erasmus Jadica, are all from Thunderbirds Ago, the vocal actors in that. So you, so it's out in English dub? This is the, the English language dub that I saw in the lo- local village multiplex. Mm-hmm. So there may be a uh, Japanese language version floating yep. around. If you obviously would get to see that, that would probably be the Nova or something like that, I yeah. reckon. Um, it, it can go either way. When they don't get good actors to play the dubs, it can be bad. But in this case, there's no problem at all with that. And I saw Howl's Moving Castle for the first time and I thought that the English dub for that was very good. Billy Crystal playing Exactly, Calcifer was yeah. so good. I thought it was all... So it's not always bad. I think they're actually quite good at casting the English voices, but I prefer it. It's in, Lauren Bacall playing... Um, yeah, the witch. Know, yeah. Exactly. So I think um, it's, no still, it's still fantastic, but I like the original dub. I like to be well. able to see both. Exactly. That's it's the, two different experiences in yeah, some way. Yeah. Uh, and... Um, it's just a, le- a shade less whimsical than the usual Ghibli. Mm. You can actually see that sort of just backed off a little bit from that. Okay. Uh, and, and Mary quickly gets over her boredom, so she's not really a very conflicted character like many Ghibli protagonists. Mm-hmm. In fact, she adapts quite readily to become a heroine in spite of the challenges, and that's all right. Yeah, but there's nothing, nothing wrong with that. that. Yeah. Uh, it's beautifully animated and drawn, of course, so... And I'm not sure how much Shirley Hughes' illustrations for the original book, The Little Broomstick, influences style. Mm. Um, I haven't been able to find that out. I suspect maybe a fair bit. Well, then again, it might be one of those self-fulfilling prophecies. Exactly. Who's to say? The story flows along smoothly with a few life lessons learned along the way. Uh, never follow cats <laughs> into, into dark woods. Uh, this We've one, been learning that one ongoing for years. That, yes. Uh, this one is slightly more menacing than some of the more little and orientated Ghibli movies, okay. so I reckon anyway, so you might want to be careful of, uh, or Who explain them. It all works out okay, and it's not, not a spoiler, so you know I can't remember it. Nothing, nothing fatal happens. That's a spoiler, but you know it's a Ghibli movie. So. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and the Witch College of Endor is really marvellously realised, um, though way less studented than Hogwarts for plot-driven reasons. Okay. Uh, and there are lots of Aussie animals in this too. Really? Yeah, again, for plot-driven reasons. Oh, fascinating. And I thought there was a magic roundabout reference because the gardener is called Zebedee and he just sort of pops up out of the undergrowth in the garden every now and then. Hmm. <laughs> I don't know. You know, I mean, what does that mean at all? But uh, I wouldn't call it Miyazaki light. Because okay. that would be disparaging what is actually a pretty damn good animated yeah, movie. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, yeah. It's um, it's out now. It's called Mary and the Witch's Flower. Nice. And uh, now I actually want to go and read the Little Broomstick if I can find a copy, just to um, to compare. Yeah. Hmm. All right. Uh, what do I have next? Well, I chose a track by David Bowie. Lovely. Uh, station to Station, so it's a longer track. And the reason why I chose this is because this is like the Thin White Duke period and he was very strange mm. then. Uh, and um, there's a lot of references in this to the occult, so we're talking witchy stuff as well as uh, substance abuse and so many other things that really was affecting him at the time. Um, so, you know, even a bit of uh, Kabbalah sort of religion sprinkled <laughs> over the top of it and a bit of Buddhism. And Interesting. But the, um, a bit of funk too. <laughs> it's just a strange track, really. And I thought, we'll go with this one. And it's a nice um, sort of a, a, 
one you can get into because it is actually a longer one, this one. So okay. Station to Station, the, the title track of the album, of course, as well. And I think this is uh, one of the live versions, so, you know, it's a bit archival in places. Hi there, I'm Jen Saska. And I'm Sylvia Saska. And, and we're, we're the Twisted Twins. And you're listening to Zero G on 3 Triple RFM. Did you love it? Was it good for you too? Heck yeah. Hmm. That was Mr. Bowie with Station to Station. Nice big yeah. chunky track for the middle great. of Zero G. Yes, with Rob and Megan. Hmm. Here we are again. And we are now looking at... Another one of the vast crop of genre movies that are out at this time of year, The Shape of Water. Yes. Been looking forward to this one. This is one that's been talked about quite a bit, and I'm, yeah, I'm quite excited to see it, and I'm excited to hear thoughts as well. Guillermo del Toro is our man well for this. He is doing the screen, did the screenplay as well with... Um, Vanessa Taylor. Now, if you've seen the uh, the poster for this or the mm-hmm. trailer, you know it involves a a creature from the Black Lagoon yep. type amphibious man. Yep. Uh, and uh, he is being incarcerated, as they do, in the 1960s in Ooh. an American re- era. Research, I love it. Yes, okay. research facility. You can actually put this as in, alongside. Um, X-Men First Class, in a way. Okay. It fits into that whole sort of retro science fiction. What I call um, 60s, it's a little bit late, but we'll go with um, uh, techno-noir. Mm. Kind of a, you know, it's a little bit later than that. I don't know, maybe transistor. Mod, no, yeah, kind no. of, yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, it stars Sally Hawkins, Michael Shannon, Richard Jenkins, and Doug Jones <sighs> as the creature. It is a it is a fantasy science fiction film because mm-hmm. some of the parts aren't explained particularly. It doesn't matter. It is a love story essentially, mm-hmm. not giving anything too much away there. And um, Vanessa Taylor, the co-writer, we know from uh, the Divergent series, as well as uh, executive producer on seasons two and three of Game of Thrones. Okay, interesting. So she knows a little bit. She's also working on the upcoming live action remake of Aladdin. Great. Uh, so there is um, a woman called Elisa or Eliza, sorry, Eliza Esposito, which I'm informed means orphan. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last name. Uh, she is uh, mute. Mm-hmm. She can hear quite well too, mm-hmm. uh, and um, she's been mute since uh, birth, as a very young child at least. Uh, an injury actually. Okay. On the neck, which from the moment you see it in the film, you realise looks like gills, mm-hmm. just like our amphibian man. Okay. Um, so there's a there's a resonance there going on, and of course the amphibian man can't talk. Yep. In English as well, so th- there's a thing, a, re- a whole okay. sort of syn- Connection. synergy there. Uh, she's a janitor. At, at this, the facility. At the facility in Baltimore. Okay. So this is a whole sort of um, what's the Star Trek. Um, lower decks kind of thing mm. from the point of view of the people who are normally not the game changers yeah. not not the main protagonists. I like that. Yeah, it's a beautiful idea. Uh, in her sphere of influence, mm-hmm. uh, her next door neighbour Giles mm-hmm. 
uh, who's um, an artist and a closeted gay man. This is the 60s. Uh, he's an advertising artist. And uh, anything further from Mad Men, you could not get. <laughs> <laughs> uh, her friend uh, Zelda is an African-American, uh, her co-worker, um, and she also interprets for her at work because okay. she, she signs. Yeah, know, so. yeah. And the scientists are not signers. So uh. so all of this, this is really an interesting way of, of, of doing things. You feel like um, uh, there's this whole other movie happening yeah. in the background uh, that's that, that that's would normally... That's what we would otherwise see. Yeah, yeah. It's like the B-grade science fiction movie or the, even the A-grade one with the, the creature and yeah. all of that sort of stuff. And here she is having this... Um, this charmingly whimsical um, uh, communicative relationship with this creature yeah. while she's mopping up the lab, basically. Wow. Uh, uh, Eliza is played by Sally Hawkins. Uh-huh. Um, I've seen her before in um, uh, one of Jane Austen's great stories, Persuasion, uh, the 2007 one where she played Anne Elliot. Uh, did also see her in a show called Tipping the Velvet as well. She was in Happy Go Lucky, I think, is the one that I would have okay. recognised her from. Michael Shannon plays uh, Colonel Strickland. Um, with I, I first saw him in uh, William Friedkin's movie Bug a long mm. time ago now, um, where he played a really hyper... Uh, conspiracy guy. He's wonderful. He's one of those actors I think who you see a lot and does a lot of great stuff, but yeah. not many people could name him. If he puts a beard on, he's really hard to pick. But th- when he, when he's got uh, he's clean shaven as he is here with the eyes and the face, and he's playing a uh, uh, an officer who's in charge of the the creature's security, mm. and he's got this dual light. He is actually a piece of work. He is a great. Um, villain, hero, whatever like the antagonist. Hell. He'd be the hero in, in the other movie. Right. But in this, he's the government guy. Oh, he he does take some really great roles, though. This is Except great Except for role. that one from Batman versus uh, Superman. Yeah, course, well, but, you know. But, yeah. but here he is. He's just absolutely marvellous. Uh, and he lives a a 1960s life mm. away from the lab. Got it, yeah. And it's perfectly... Traditional. Yeah, it's perfectly <laughs> nuanced and, and, and shown and, and actually quite horrifying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't doubt it, yeah. Uh, Richard Jenkins plays um, uh, Eliza's uh, artist friend Giles. Uh, saw him in Bone Tomahawk, that that really hideously effective um, horror movie. Mm. Uh, he was a senator in Kong Skull Island. Doug Jones is our amphibian man who's been in so many yeah. movies and so many Del Toro movies. A lot movies. of Del Toro, yep. yeah. He is the ma- the go-to guy for um, for prosthetic um, creations, yeah. basically. He is the, the rubber man of the and 21st century. I think before, he's got such a striking face, like a recognisable kind of striking mm. face, and they always hide they it. Always hide it. <laughs> he, he is stalking around Star Trek Discovery at the moment, too, of course. Oh, is he? Yeah. Okay, there you go. Uh, Octavia Spencer... He is uh, Eliza's um, friend. Seen her before in Snowpiercer, mm. uh, the Divergent series. She plays Opal in both Bad Santa movies. <laughs> but she's also in Hidden Figures. I was going to say, one of your top films of last yeah. year. Uh, and we have um, another character called uh, Dr. Robert Hofstetler, uh, who is um, played by Michael Stolberg who was in um, the Doctor Strange movie, amongst other things. But enough of the cast. They are all, they are mm. all extremely I mean, well cast. It's got a cast on it. Like, this yeah. film is, knows what it's doing. Mm. So, okay, we get the, um, 
the whole Creature from the Black Lagoon riff on this. Mm-hmm. And, and I would actually advise you to go and see that okay. uh, beforehand, get it on DVD or watch it before this. Mm. It'll give you an idea of where he's coming from. Yeah. Uh, with um, uh, with uh, Eliza really filling in for um, Julie Adams in the uh, okay. in her role from um, Creature from the Black Lagoon. They call him a gill man in the uh, Creature movies. Um in the Cold War, that really works too. Set mm. it in the Cold War, a little bit like um, Hail Caesar in parts. Okay. You know that kind of whole <laughs> spy versus spy thing that goes yeah, on. Uh, the production design in this is to die for. Oh, he's it's always glorious. <sighs> like every element of yeah. his films, and we'll go through some of what he's known for. The Formica, the Bakelite, the uh, the chipped green enamel on the mach- on the hulking great machinery. He always gets it just right, I uh, think. It's uh, just amazing piece in here. Um, have to look up who the production designer is because I want to mention them before Ooh, the yes, yes. Uh, whoever whoever they are. <laughs> uh, and Alexandra Desplat does a great um, film score for this, mm-hmm. uh, pulling out some great songs and things from um, the 60s because there's a bit of elegiac music in this from uh, televisions that are left right. on and so on. You know. So it really creates that yeah, time yeah. and place, like the mood. Oh, God, they play uh, Carmen Miranda's um, Chicka Chicka Boom. <laughs> um, so much of this stuff. Paul Osterberry. Yeah, first-rate production design on this. And it looks like he's, I mean, people agree that he's got some chops on him. So there's a couple of articles talking a bit around. Where does this stand in Del Toro's um, other... Uh, Let, let's just go well, hark back to some of his early work, and this is this leads into actually a question I had for you around this film. But mm-hmm. basically, I mean, I think early days, a lot of people will know Del Toro from his early work. He did Blade Two. Um, he also did some early. He did Mimic, which was sort of in the '90s, and a movie called The Devil's Backbone, which yeah. I think you would be yeah. familiar with. Um, so those are all fairly. You know, I remember seeing them at the video store. Mimic is awesome. It is a great little B-grade that, horror um, movie. Insects. Yeah, Insects. and it's what's her... The, uh, Mira? Not Mira Savino. The other one. Other blonde lady. Um, yeah, so then after that, obviously, Hellboy, which yep. is kind of a big entry in his filmography, and then Pan's Labyrinth, um, which I, I don't know about you, but, I mean, that stands for me. I was talking about this just the other day with someone. I think is an amazing movie that is definitely one of the best films I've seen hmm. ever. Yeah, um, horror fantasy movie. Yeah, and just so beautifully captures the historical setting that it's trying to portray, but there's this sense of dark whimsy, which he has come to be known for. Um, he then followed Hellboy 1 up with Hellboy 2, The Golden Army, and Pacific Rim. All arguments f- against that uh, pale uh, just, just go away the moment the moment the Jaeger picks up a freighter and uses it as a baseball bat. (laughs) They're doing a second one. So enough people have liked it, at least in the audience or in the studio, to do a second. There's Ron Perlman in there too, one of his muses. Exactly. So he um, frequently pops up. And now this is a movie that I think was a little bit overlooked and I really loved, Crimson Peak. Oh, yeah. So that was um, Chastain and Tom Hiddleston and um, our own Mia Vasakovska, I Mm want to say. Uh, So Crimson Peak, that only came out a couple of years ago. I thought that was a really great gothic kind of dark tale and got a little bit forgotten, I think. There was a few big big ticket numbers out at that time. So then obviously um, his vibe, 
is very much, you know, sort of dark, idiosyncratic fantasy. There's often some, you know, dark themes, but there's usually a little bit of joy in there as well. <laughs> joy. And there's, you know, weird stuff. Like, he's known for having weird creatures and weird stuff in his film. And, of course, we went through, uh, we reviewed The Strain, the vampire yes. series. Yes, so I was going to, sorry, I was going to mention that as well. The Strain was his foray into TV. Hmm. Um, oh, and we should not forget... Kronos, the uh, the Ron Perlman vampire movie uh, in 1993. He wrote the script oh. for that one. Okay, all so, right. So, you know, there, there, that was um, an early indication that uh, he was a considerable talent when it came yeah. to genre. This particular, I mean, even in the early days, the fact that Hellboy and Pan's Labyrinth were some of his early films, he really kind of set himself up as having a very specific kind of mm. voice, I think. Mm. Um, and so I guess that's my question around this. Tone-wise, because you know how Pan's Labyrinth is quite dark and there's bits of that that are quite disturbing, is the tone of this sort of a fantasy romance that's a bit odd or is it also is there dark undertones going on here or sort of what what's the certainly, energy of it? Certainly the governmental um, elements of this film um, with uh, government experimentation mm. and, uh, and, and, a, and a quite fascist approach um, by them is is very unsettling and and disturbing and just ugly yeah basically um, this is not the usual uh, see it's a, it's an approach to um, uh, the industrial military complex that you normally would see in a much later film yeah. you would not see it in an, generally in a, uh, in a 1960s or 50s science fiction or horror movie. Yeah. You would see it in a later movie, especially some Vietnam-era movies, mm-hmm. uh, but um, not this early. So it's very strange to see that here, mm. and it works. I really think it does work. Okay. Uh, it shows you a, the, the darker side of, mm. of, of, of a, an era which some people uh, worship as golden age. Yeah, you know? sure. So I like that. Yeah. It's a, an outsider's view of that. Is it... I mean, do I need to hide behind my bag of salt and vinegar chips, I guess, or is it... I saw people weeping. Right, okay. Um, in particular sections of, of the film. Oh, no. Uh, but it was... <laughs> but that, what that... Do your um, ah noise. My what, sorry? Your ah noise. Ah. Oh. You know, when you go, when there's something poignant and you go, oh, 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 that's it. That? That's, you, 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 you do a lot of those. <laughs> All right. My my oh, noise. <laughs> all right, pointed. Yeah, all right, I can do that. Weeping is okay if I feel kind of good about the weeping. Mm. Yeah, I think you will. All right. You will. Um, it's, a, it's just a, a fine fantasy horror movie. It's perfect. Mm. Less of the horror than... than, than um, the creature from the Black Lagoon linkage would suspect. Yep. Um, I just love this film. Okay. Uh, it gets a it gets a a uh, yeah. Was it satisfied? Yeah. People were weeping. Do you mean you were no. weeping? No weeping. No. I, well, I, I did actually. I might have just been sweat. <laughs> no. Someone had brought onions into the theatre. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> So I enjoyed this. I thought it was a, a fine movie. I, I think this it continues the trend of really good genre movies mm, we started the mm. year with. So, yeah, go and see um, this 
particular film, Sh- The Shape of Water. Oh, um, water plays such a big part in okay. the um, design of this film, um, which does actually harken back to uh, some kinds of um, types of filmmaking they did in the 60s. Okay. Um, a little bit um, that psychedelic feeling in parts. Mm. Uh, but, oh, gosh, you could, you know, I would, the only thing that would have made this film even more interesting is to do it in black and white. Yeah, okay. You know, That's interesting. That, that would have fit right in there. Um, and he also won Best Director for this film mm. for, at the Golden Globes. Yeah, so, I mean, so that puts him in it. pretty good stead for um, the Oscars. Oh, well, I mean, not that it matters. Yeah. But also, um, Desplat got Best Original Score. Mm. So. And, and, and my God, there's so much chemistry between um, uh, between Sally Hawkins and Doug Jones in this film. Mm. <laughs> you just think... Uh, how did they man? How did he manage that? He managed it by doing it, being a bloody good filmmaker. Mm. And I think that's it. All of these things have so many oddities. These different films, but I think he's very good at portraying different relationships and different yeah. connections. It's it's Guillermo del Toro, S O C K S. Thanks, thanks Thomas for that buzzword. <laughs> there, it is what it is. Okay, um, now I wanted to. Well, we're getting. Running out of time, aren't we? Uh, I did want to mention, um, just in passing, um, um, Peter um, Wingard, the actor who died. We played Jason King, the television series uh, theme song at the start of the show today. Uh, He did two television series playing the same character Mm -hmm. in uh, Department S in 1969 and 70, and then Jason King in 72. This is a show that gets repeated forever late nights. Right, okay. Um, He... Is an an iconic looking actor. He was, you know, flamboyant in his dress sense. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, uh, Mike Myers says that Wingard inspired the Austin Powers right. look. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, he, he's got a really strange early life, um, and things are not necessarily straightforward in his um, uh, his uh, first his original name or anything. It's all a bit fuzzy. And then mm. World War Two intervened with some internment and some of the. Uh, the uh, prison camps in China, in Shanghai. So, you know, we met J.G. Ballard, although he didn't acknowledge it. Yeah. All sorts of complicated stuff. But round about 1933, he was born and uh, and just uh, passed away just the other day. Um, he was Clytus in uh, the Flash Gordon movie. Oh, okay. S- stuck behind an awful mask. I don't think I know what Flash Gordon really is. I was thinking about this the other day. It's a conversation for another time. It's a very strange movie. <laughs> Doesn't do well on DVD, by the way. Um, he was in uh, Night of the Eagle, uh, also known as Burn, Witch, Burn. But he was in so many series in the 60s, uh, The Avengers, The Saint, The Baron, The Champions, I Spy. The Saint, I know. I used to see that at the video store. The Prisoner. Mm. You mean, you're, are you talking about the um, the movie? Oh, maybe. <laughs> Possibly. Um you know, just a just an actor who did a lot on the ground in these movies. Also in Doctor Who in um, Planet of Fire, I remember, and a couple of Hammer things too. Uh, so yeah, has um, passed away after months of again a mysterious illness that nobody has mentioned yet. So mm. uh, Peter Wingard, uh, and I think actually I will go out today with a track with him speaking because he had this amazing voice. And uh, I think we'll go with that instead of um, the others. I'll save the other tracks for another time. And 
it's uh, a bit of a speech that he's giving from a an album, a bit of an alternative album by Graham Roos, R-O-O-S, and it's uh, called Night Dragon. And he um, features on this um, with a couple of other people basically doing the voice. I'm not sure if he's the voice of the dragon or <laughs> not. It's a bit mysterious like Peter Wingard. Um, but we'll go out with that today as our, our out track before Kate comes in filling in for Joe on Astral Glamour. So, uh, could be anything next week. Um, <laughs> there's so much that's um, coming up. I still haven't caught up with Downsizing yet or Coco, which yeah. I do intend to. I might give Downsizing a miss. Yeah, it's too too little. There's just... Yeah. <laughs> I set you up for that one. You did. Uh, it's just, I mean, there's a lot going on and it's so uh, below down my list. Um, I just don't think I can be bothered with it. Yeah, but, that's all right. But, I, you know. I, I, I do the things that other people won't do. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, all right. So we'll go out with um, Mr. Wingard doing his uh, uh, final bow, really. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.